0: The book of Acts, really, if you gave the full title to it, it'd be the Acts of the Apostles. And it was really what they continued that they were given by the Lord Jesus Christ. It wasn't something new they made up. It was what the Lord gave to them, and you look at that in the beginning of the book of Acts. But we've been talking here the last number of weeks, aside from our missions conference here the first Sunday of March, about the importance of the church. And so we took three Sundays in the month of February, and now we're taking three more Sundays, and we're talking here about the church. Last week we looked at verse number 41, and we saw the pattern of the church how we have a message to proclaim, and when people receive the gospel, that's what we mean by getting saved. They've received by faith that gospel, and then they're scripturally baptized. And then they're added to the church. That is, they make a decision to say, I'm going to connect and become an official member of this church. I'm going to support the doctrine that this church proclaims and preaches. I'm going to support and encourage the people of God by letting them know, I'm here with you. But now I want you to notice verse number 42, where the Bible continues this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, if you've been around preaching enough, you'll know that I have four points to my outline here today. Notice what these disciples, those who received gladly the word of God, notice what they continued in. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. That's number one. The fellowship, number two, the breaking of bread, number three, and number four, prayers. Today I'd like to talk about this, the priorities of the church, the priorities of the church. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help today guide my lips. May I not say anything that I'm not supposed to. May you use me in a very special way to speak to people. Lord, I can only share words of which penetrate the ears, but Lord, for this to have some impact and cause people to change, you've got to touch the heart. And I ask that the sweet Holy Spirit of God would move up and down these aisles and in between the pews and would cause people to hear what is being said. And to not just be hearers of the word, but as Jesus said, to be doers also. Thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever heard of the man who was a president of these United States for one day? Anybody ever heard that little story? Oh, I'm going to teach you something new, most of you. Well, President James Polk spent his last day as president of these United States on March 3rd eighteen forty nine and at midnight, Polk was out of office, but his successor, generally General Zachary Taylor, who was a very strong churchgoer, refused to be sworn in on march fourth eighteen forty nine because it happened to be a Sunday. He said going to church was a higher priority than becoming President of the United States. Amen. So he postponed his inauguration until Monday, March 5th. And so for one day, U.S. Senator David Acheson of Missouri was President of the of the United States. Can you think of anything more important than becoming President of the United States of America? Well, Zachary Taylor did for him. It was going to church. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's a great little illustration that all of us must take to heart that as individuals, we need to set the priority of being in God's house. But today, I don't want to land on, though I could preach a whole sermon about our priority of being here, I want to talk about the priorities that this church collectively ought to have. And when you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it is very, very clear the priorities that the church ought to have. In fact, when you look across our world today and you find an organization, a building where people say, We're meeting together for church, it seems that so many churches have gotten away from these priorities. Many churches today are running more like a Fortune 500 company than they are a local church in the New Testament era. Many churches have looked at themselves merely as a business. Now, I understand the organization of the church. I understand the business aspect. But my friend, when we get more into the business and the secular realm of running a church, we've lost sight of what God has established. God established the church, and God gave to the apostles here in Acts chapter 2 what the priorities of the church should be. And so I want to look at these here this morning, but before I get into these four priorities of the church, I want you to notice verse number 42 where they... Now notice again the they... Are those people who had gladly received the word of God? It is they who were baptized and it is they who were added to the church. So I'm talking here to all the members of Calvary Baptist Church and I'm talking to you that have not yet fulfilled verse number 41. Maybe you haven't been saved. Today, you know what your first priority is? Get saved. If you're saved here today, but you've never been scripturally baptized, do you know what your priority is today? To follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You say, well, preacher, I'm good on those two areas. Wonderful. I want to encourage you, if you've been saved and baptized, but you've never scripturally joined a church, then today you ought to consider joining this church if you're in this area. But for they, the Bible says, they continued steadfastly. Now, what an interesting word that is used here. It actually, in the Greek language, comes from two different Greek words. The one word means towards or interactively with, and the other word means to show steadfast strength, and it is actually derived from a word which carries the idea of prevailing strength. In other words, to consistently show strength in, the spi- in spite of difficulties, or to endure, or to stay in a fixed direction. So what these apostles and these believers were doing is they were taking these priorities and they were continuing them in the midst of difficulty. Because I want to remind you of this, of something that you are well aware of. The devil doesn't want you meeting together with other believers on Sundays. That's true. How many woke up this morning and thought, you know what, it's cool out, I'd rather stay in bed this morning. Come on, you can admit it, I, I, I'm going to admit today, I would have rather stayed in bed. So how many will raise their hands with me and say, I would have rather stayed in bed today? All right, praise God, we've got a few honest people today. But here you are, you've gotten out of bed and you're with us today. The devil is doing all he can to fight you for being here. Your flesh is opposing your being here. But we know spiritually, we know from the Word of God, it is imperative that we meet together, that we collectively come together. And so therefore, if we're going to come together, and if we're going to fulfill the priorities of the church, we've got to continue steadfastly. Amen. There'll be a lot of difficulties getting in the way. There'll be a lot of pressures against us to not do it. And so it's something that on a weekly and a monthly basis, you must move forward In these believers continued steadfastly in these areas. So what were they? Let's unpack verse number 42 and see the priorities that should be part of this local church. Number one, we gather around the Word of God. We gather around the Word of God. Notice how it says that they continued steadfastly first area in the apostles doctrine now who were the apostles well in a general sense here's what apostle means it means somebody who's been sent but very specifically it refers here to the 12 that Jesus had commissioned now there's very particular parameters that are set on an apostle as we know of in the new testament First of all, there were apostles that had to have seen the Lord and been commissioned by him and seen his resurrection. When we look at the apostles that are given, we can name them in the book of Mark. We see them listed out. But then we find that there is one of them who really, though outwardly was a part of the group, never was a part of it and ended up committing suicide and he got replaced in Acts chapter 1. Then Paul made mention of the fact that I was one born out of due time, and the Lord Jesus in Acts chapter 9 had appeared to Paul and had shown himself, so the apostle Paul was included here. Now, when we talk about the apostles' doctrine, we're not talking about something that the apostles have made up on their own. This is their own little uh, 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 word of God. This is their own little thing. No, no, I want to tell you the pattern that is in the Scriptures. When Jesus assembled his apostles together, he spent three years with them. Now think about those three years. Think about Jesus traveling with them, walking with them. Think about the times that they would break bread together and Jesus would begin to teach and they'd ask questions and Jesus would answer them. Think of the settings that Jesus would have them in. Maybe he'd set them down and say, now I want to share with you these particular doctrinal truths. And so through the New Testament of the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, these gospel records, we find that Jesus began to share the very truths that you and I are sharing today. And as Jesus shared these with the apostles, guess what the apostles shared with the believers that they gathered around? They shared what Jesus gave to them. And then that next set of believers, as they received them from the apostles, and they saw others who gladly received the word of God and were baptized and were joined, guess what they gave to them? What was passed down to them. And now all the way to 2023, what are we presenting today? Is it anything new? Are we coming up with new revelation? Are we throwing in our own ideas? Are we giving the political news of the day? No, we're sharing what Jesus gave early on, what Paul says here, or the, or the writer Luke says, the apostles' doctrine. Amen. Now, I want to go ahead and answer for you for just a moment, what is Doctrine? There's a lot of people that sit out in church and they go, Preacher, doctrine is that stuffy stuff that only theologians know about. Doctrine is all that stuff that people on on blogs and various other places on the Internet, they just argue about all these little things. I want to tell you what doctrine is. Doctrine very simply is this. It is principles that are given by the Word of God that spell out truth that we must know. That's what doctrine is. And the doctrine that the apostles gave was given to them by Jesus, and it helped them understand what the Bible was all about, who God was, who the Lord Jesus Christ was, what the church was all about, what salvation is. So if you want to know what it is that we believe about salvation, we're going to Go to the Scriptures and look at the doctrine, the teaching of salvation. If you want to know what the church is about, we're going to go to the New Testament and we're going to find what the teachings and the principles are concerning the local church. So what the apostles are doing is they're giving doctrine. Now I love as you walk through the New Testament, you find a couple of different areas here of giving that doctrine. There is the teaching of the Word of God. There is the opportunity, maybe one-on-one, where someone is discipling someone else. They're teaching them. They're opening up the Word of God, and they're sharing things. I want to tell you, when you're teaching another believer, when you're teaching the Word of God in a, maybe in a classroom setting, you're not here to give your opinion. You're here to open up the Word of God and give what God says. But then you look through the book of Acts, and here's what you find a lot of as well as preaching of the Word of God. Now, people have defined preaching a lot of different ways. People just think, well, a preacher is a guy that just stands behind this wooden desk and he yells and gets red in the face. Well, sometimes that does happen. And I get excited about what I share. I, I-, I love what I'm sharing of the Word of God. But preaching is not just brought down to some guy yelling to a group of people. Preaching is taking the word of God and it, and bringing it out to where people can understand it and they can apply it to their lives. Amen. The word preach literally has this idea of heralding. It is proclaiming. Can I say that preaching is not just relegated to me behind this pulpit? Preaching is something that's done by you when you declare the gospel. That's why Mark 16:15 the Bible says Jesus said unto them, preach the gospel That's to every one of you. You say, well, I'm a lady. You're to preach the gospel. You say, well, I'm just a teenager. You're to preach the gospel. You say, I'm not ordained into the ministry. You're to preach the gospel. You may never stand behind a wooden pulpit like this, but you have the grand opportunity to be able to proclaim the gospel. And you know the priority that we have here? The priority that we have, number one, is to gather around the Word of God. That's why we're here today. That's why you got out of bed. I know you were snuggled in that warm bed. You had those covers over you, and you are just so excited. You thought, I'm going to turn the television on, and I'll watch something on TV. No, no. You decided to gather together around the Word of God. That's the priority of the church. So may I say to you that we have several services throughout the week where we gather together. No service is alike. Tonight, we're going to meet at 6 o'clock. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to gather around the Word of God. We're not setting out games to play and say, well, we're just going to go ahead and do this. No, no, we're gathering around the Word of God. On Wednesday nights, when we get together, the teens and the children are meeting together, and guess what they're receiving? The Word of God. The adults who meet together, what are we receiving? The Word of God. So here we are, gathering around the Word of God. Number two, I want you to notice this. We live our lives together. Look at the second priority of verse number 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly, carry that through, not only in the apostles' doctrine, but in fellowship. Now you say, preacher, what is fellowship? Well, I can tell you it's not two fellows in a ship. That's not what it is. (laughs) Fellowship is literally partnership, sharing together. Now we think of fellowship of, all right, we're going to sit down around a cup of coffee over in what we call the fellowship hall. I like churches that have the name fellowship hall, but sometimes we relegate fellowship to sitting and sitting around a cup of coffee, eating some little snacks and just shooting the breeze about anything. That may involve a little bit, but I want to tell you something. There's something much more vital about the fellowship of a local church. You see, what is it that these early Christians were sharing in? Well, I want you to notice verse number 44 where the Bible says, and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, there were some issues that were going on that we may not fully understand in the early church at this time. There were some struggles in the, with the government that they were facing. There were some needs that were present. And so collectively, people brought in things and shared amongst others. Now, I want you to notice here that don't read certain things into the Bible. This does not mean that Christians should know anything. People have read that and said, well, boy, I guess when I get saved, I ought to give up everything that I have. That's not what the Bible's saying. Neither is the Bible teaching here or does it support the concept of communism. I want you to realize here that this communion of these believers was something that was spontaneous. It was something directed by the Holy Spirit. But the communism that you and I are familiar with in the political realm of our world is something that is forced upon people. This is something people collectively got together and said, you know what? We're, we see a need. We're going to help out. Yes. So how did the early church fellowship? When they saw needs, they met it. But here's another way. Their fellowship was demonstrated through ministry. I wish I had time to walk through the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 4, you find Peter and John working together doing ministry. Do you think Peter and John talk to each other? I do. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what their conversation was about. The Bible doesn't give us a hint as far as the fact that they stopped at uh, Dunkin' Donuts and got a little cup of coffee together. You don't believe there was Dunkin' Donuts? I do. I know there wasn't Starbucks. I can tell you that much. But there probably was Dunkin' Donuts. But they sat and fellowshiped together and they communed with one another as they ministered together. You know where fellowship can happen here at this church is when you start getting involved in a ministry and you start connecting with other believers. You fellowship with them. Though the Bible doesn't give us, I like to just kind of put pieces together and realize that Peter and John and Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Timothy and many other throughout the book of Acts as they're ministering together, they're fellowshipping together what a powerful tool that is but these early disciples you know how else they fellowship I believe they fellowshiped in smaller groups i want you to notice something here in verse number 46 and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple now notice the next phrase in breaking bread from house to house now i have i believe very firmly in trying to reach our community for Christ, and I believe in door-to-door or house-to-house visitation. I believe firmly in it. But I'm not necessarily going to go back to this passage of Scripture and just say, well, this is what I'm building my doctrine on concerning door-to-door visitation. But I will tell you something about Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and that is that they met collectively there at the temple. But you know what they did throughout the week? They said, we can't just meet once a week. We got to get together. There was no building really that was uh, 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 sufficient enough to house. I mean, how many people did we go over that got saved last week? 3,000 people. How many of you today could house 3,000 people in your house? I mean, truthfully, there was no house available to put all of these people together so therefore there was a lot of in the city of jerusalem and going out as christianity spread a lot of these house churches today it's wonderful that we have a beautiful building we can meet in all together god's been good to us in giving us this building and preserving this building and by the gifts and offerings of god's people to continue to maintain this building but I want to say to you today that as the disciples were fellowshipping through ministry, through sharing together, through the smaller groups, that it is something that you and I can involve ourselves in. We follow the pattern of the scriptures. Amen. And I want to encourage you to get involved in a ministry because, in a ministry, not only will you exercise your gift, but you'll be partnered together with some other people that you'll be able to share together. You'll be able to encourage one another, strengthen each other in the things of God. Can I say to you that coming up real soon, April 16th, in fact, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to begin once again our Sunday school classes. Man, I'm excited. Now, there's some of you that haven't been part of Sunday school class ever. And I want to encourage you, one of the greatest things about church and where church really works is in the smaller groups. Here in this building, all together, we give our worship to God. But I'll be honest, in a group just even this size, people get lost. But how important it is when you can get connected in a smaller group, say 25, 30, 35 people, and you can fellowship with people and begin to connect with them in such a real way. That fellowship is important. It's a priority of the church. So number one, the priority is gathering around the Word of God. Number two, the priority is fellowship. And I'm going to tell you something, that we have so much in common being believers in Christ that we need to partner together and join one another because we need each other. I remember years ago, taking my family out west. We had never been out west before. I had never been out. And it was neat to see the, the vast uh, land out there, the huge mountains. And one of the places we went to when we got to California was we visited Sequoia National Park. Wow, Powerful. It's there in Sequoia National Park are all these large trees known as sequoia trees, and the average height is anywhere from 164 feet to 270 feet or so. It's estimated that the average age of the sequoia trees could be anywhere of up to several hundred years old. But the tallest tree if you've ever been there or know anything about Sequoia National Park is they have one particular tree there known as the General Sherman. It stands at 270 feet high, and it covers, uh, it has a diameter of about 36 feet huge. I got a picture somewhere of our family standing there, and man, that tree dwarfed our family. You know, later as I was driving away from Sequoia, I thought to myself, boy, I'll tell you what, those trees really are strong enough because of their height. I mean, look at how tall they are to be able to withstand the earthquakes that are out there, the various things that happen naturally there in the state of California. But I began to study Sequoia, uh, uh, the, the, this type of tree, and I found that it wasn't the height that gave those trees their strength. When things like uh, all these natural disasters took place, you know what the strength was? It is the fact that the roots underneath, though they may not be deep, are connected together. And because these tall trees, their roots are connected together, they uphold one another. You know what you do today? You uphold others in this church. There are some who come in. There are some who are here today whose hearts are heavy. Kathy Subject lost her sister. You know what we can do is encourage our dear sister in the Lord and lift her spirits and pray with her. There are others that are going through other difficulties, other trials of life. And as you come in, how important it is that we link, if you will, our roots together in fellowship to uphold each other. Well, I could park here for the rest of the day, but I got to move on. Notice number three, we observe the Lord's table. We observe the Lord's table. Look here again, carry this phrase through. They continued steadfastly. Number one, the apostle's doctrine. Number two, fellowship. Number three, breaking of bread. Now, some have commonly said, well, this means they just got together and ate a meal together. Well, There was, in the early days of the church, along with the observance of the Lord's table, there often would be a meal that would be uh, partaken of. But I want to emphasize here that I believe that this passage is calling out here this Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is what we often call an ordinance, And you say, what is an ordinance? An ordinance is different, and I want you to notice it's different than a sacrament. A sacrament, maybe many of you have been part of a church where you've been taught that there are certain things in a church that are done, and a sacrament, by its very definition, is something that conveys grace upon you. In other words, if you partake of this sacrament, that is, if it's the Lord's table, if it is baptism, if it is something else, then the essence of a sacrament is that that very deed, that very thing that you partake in, has a means of saving you. Could I say to you today, according to the authority of the Word of God, the only one who saves you is Jesus Christ. That's it. A couple weeks ago, we were able to observe the Lord's table. I was very clear as I stood behind the table and I held up the bread and I held up the cup and I said, These things do not save us. Drink all you want, eat all you want, it won't change your soul. But when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that's what saves you. You say, well, pastor, if we observe the Lord's table, then why do we do that? Well, I want you to think with me for just a moment. Only two ordinances that Jesus gave to the local church. Number one, baptism. In fact, at the end of our service, we're going to have a baptism. We've had a couple of the last couple of weeks. It's been beautiful to watch. But the other one is the Lord's Supper. An ordinance is this. It is not something that is done that saves you but it provides a picture of what has already been done in your life. In other words, when we watch baptism, why we baptize, I mentioned last week, by immersion is because it shows the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You say, what is it about the Lord's table? Well, there's two elements that are given here to show us about what the Lord did for us. When you look at the bread, unleavened bread, Now, I want to tell you, you don't come to the Lord's table to go ahead and fill yourself up. You don't come because the bread tastes great. It's unleavened bread. And I'll be honest with you, the little packages that we use, I stick it in my mouth and I think, this is the nastiest stuff I've ever tasted. (laughs) I could have just taken a piece of cardboard. But the Lord prescribed unleavened bread because it signifies, leaven throughout the Scripture signifies sin, and the Lord Jesus had no sin in His body. And so therefore, we partake of leavened bread. And, And Jesus, now we don't do it this way, but there's something significant when Jesus set this up, that He took this loaf of bread and He broke it and gave it to His disciples. What does the breaking have a reference to? Has a reference to what Jesus went through on the cross. Now, the psalmist told us a thousand years before Jesus was ever crucified, the psalmist said that not a bone of his would be broken. And guess what? That was fulfilled. That soldier stood before him, and he saw that Jesus had already given up the ghost, and he walked away, did not break his legs. Fulfilled Scripture. But Jesus went through that trial went through that pre-crucifixion scenery and if you, if you will, everything that those Roman soldiers did in beating him. In fact, Isaiah talks about that his visage, it was not recognizable. You wouldn't have known that was the Lord Jesus Christ. His back was beaten and his body was bruised and why did he go through that? For you. Amen. So you could be saved. That's right. But then the cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed for us. And how beautiful it is, the precious blood of Christ. Now, when we partake of this, we're not re-crucifying the Lord Jesus and saying, this is literally the body of Jesus. This is literally the blood of Jesus Christ. No, no, no. We're doing this in remembrance, the Bible says in First Corinthians 11. It's in remembrance. And so, therefore, what a beautiful time Now you say, Pastor, I've been here for a while, I've never been to a Lord's Supper. Well, I want to encourage you, typically we on Sunday evenings do the Lord's Table, and I encourage you that when we begin announcing, in fact, on the the day we call Passover, the first Sunday of April this year, we're going to have the Lord's Table that evening. I want to encourage you now to be here for that service, if you're a born-again Christian, to partake of the Lord's Table because what a beautiful time Jesus or the apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said that as oft as ye do this how often i've known churches that have taken of lord's table every week i've known churches that have done it once a year i've been in churches pretty much my whole life where we did it once a month and truthfully when i came here i talked to our deacons And I said, you know, it just seems like every month that I was coming to the Lord's table and I didn't seem to enjoy it because it seemed to be something out of ritual. And so what we did was we did it once a quarter. And I'll be honest with you, every time I've come to it, I have so looked forward to this. Because you know what the Lord's table is? It's a gathering of God's people together around the Lord's table to be reminded of what Jesus did and to be reminded of this that he's coming again. Fourth priority, and I'm done. Notice here, we pray together. We pray together. Matthew 21 13, Jesus said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but she have made it a den of thieves. I want to tell you something God did not establish this local church. To be necessarily a preaching center, though preaching takes place here often. God did not establish this church here to be a fellowship center. You know what our church ought to be known as? Praying church. A house of prayer. That's what it ought to be known as. But you say to yourself, well, Preacher, what is it about prayer? Why the emphasis on prayer? Why does God talk about this? Well, I want to tell you something. Prayer is where you and I experience God. Yes. I want to tell you something. If you don't seem to have a dynamic relationship with God and you don't have a lot going on, probably it's not because, it's, it's probably due to the fact that you're not spending time in prayer. That's right. But when you get to pray before God and you begin to commune with Him, and you listen to Him, and you allow Him to speak back to you, I tell you, there's a great thing about prayer, but prayer does something else. It stretches my faith. You know, when people begin praying together, And begin banding together for certain things that we know as we pray for people to be saved and as we pray for God to meet our needs and as we pray for certain miracles. What a beauty it is to pray and then to see God answer those prayers and our faith is increased. It's beautiful. But prayer causes people to see things from God's perspective. Why should you pray? So you can see it from God's way. You know, sometimes before I pray, I'm always thinking of me. Lord, I want this. Lord, I need you to do this. Lord, I desire this. And I'll tell you, when I begin praying and I get into the Word of God, I start seeing things from God's perspective, and it starts changing my prayer. May I say that as we get together as a church that it is important that we pray Psalm 40, 34, verse 3, O oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. In the book of Acts, isn't it amazing how the church was a praying church? When Peter was in jail, how many remember the passage when Peter was in jail? Would you raise your hand for just a moment? Remember that passage? Peter got tossed in jail because he was preaching the gospel. And an angel came and woke him up, got him out of jail. Where did he go? Now, I'm guessing this was late at night. Yeah. But he knew the church was gathered together praying, Yes. and he went. I want to tell you something. This church ought to be marked as a praying church. And I'm just going to go ahead and set it out right now. I, as your pastor, have not set this out to be a praying church as I ought to. I'm not saying that you're not praying. I'm not saying that you're not gathering. But as we move forward in the next weeks, I'm going to set some things in motion that help our church to be known as a praying church. Because we can hear the preaching of the Word of God. We can minister the Word of God out there. We can fulfill the ministries that we have. But if we don't seek God's help, every bit of that is done in vain because we need God. And so corporate prayer, that is coming together, it unifies us in finding God's purpose. It edifies the people of God we pray together for common needs and struggles and times of celebration and other things, what a motivation that is in believers' lives as we gather together. There's a man by the name of Adolf Menzel that created a painting that was titled Frederick the Great's Address to His Generals Before the Battle of Luthen. This historical piece actually depicts Frederick's speech to his generals, in December of 1757 during the Seven Years' War before their famous battle against the Austrians. Menzel worked on this piece from 1859 to uh, or 1759 to 1761 but never finished it. That monumental painting contains the background and the general standing together in a semicircle, but the main figure of Frederick the Great was left blank. And I must say that as I thought about this particular illustration that Menzel's famous painting is often a picture of what the local church is like. The church, like the, the the generals that were gathered around in the painting that are put there, we have our services, we have our social activities, we have our Bible studies, we have our ministries, we have our times where we get together. But I want to tell you, unless we set up the priorities of fully gathering together around the Word of God, of observing the Lord's table, of praying and of this fellowship, then what we have as a church is incomplete. That's right. And my friend, I want to encourage you to be part of a church that helps us fulfill these particular priorities. You know what's amazing to me? I want you to go to the last verse of chapter number 2 and notice what is said here. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and I'm noting the last phrase, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Can I say... I'm not looking for God to be adding people on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. That's not what I'm looking for. But here's what I am looking for. That if we do what God asks us to do, God's hand of blessing will be upon this ministry. You know what I'm looking for? I'm just simply looking for God's hand of blessing. That's it. And when you look at the book of Acts and they fulfilled the priorities that God had for them, God said, all right. Here's the growth, not just numerical growth, but spiritual, individual growth. Concluding questions I want to ask you, and then I'm done. And I want you to answer these questions to yourself and honestly. Can I say to you, as you ask these questions and answer them to yourself, you might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool others. But God knows what's in your heart. Question number one. Do you make the services here a priority? Now, please notice I said services, plural. You say, Pastor, I only go to one service a week. You're short-circuiting your Christian life. Why do we have a service this evening? Why do we have Wednesday services? Because of the first priority of gathering around the Word of God. Amen. You look through the book of Acts, what did they do? They gathered around the Word of God. Now, I promised myself a long time ago as a preacher, I am not going to browbeat people. You get the privilege of being able to come for the services of this church. When I walk into those doors, I say, I get to come to church. I see some people coming in like this. They feel like they're in a straitjacket being pulled into church. I'm like, man, it's a one, it's wonderful to be here. Amen. Yes, it is. It's beautiful. So you got to ask yourself: Are you making the services of the local church that you're part of a priority? Question number two: Is it a priority of yours to be involved with the church family? I watch some people come into church, and this has been a habit I've seen in churches all I've been a part of. There are some people, they come in after the service starts, they leave before the service ends. You know what that tells other people? I don't want any part with you. I'm to myself. Okay, no problem. But I want to tell you, one of the priorities of a church is that people fellowship together. It could very well be that your heart's not right with God. And you don't want to get involved with other people because you don't want people to know the real you. Now, I'm cutting to the chase here this morning. But truthfully, if you consider the priorities, these are important. Question number three. Do you consider it a priority to be present when the Lord's table is served? How important it is to be gathered together. Question number four. Is it a priority of yours to pray with others in this church family? You say, Pastor, I, I really don't know how to pray. Can you talk? Again, I'm not being facetious, but you know what praying is? Just talking to God. That's it. You say, Pastor, I, I don't use all the flowery language that you use. You'd probably be better off. Truthfully. You say, I don't, I don't know all the theological terms. I don't know all this stuff like you know it. It's no problem. God knows who you are. He sure does. And what He's looking for you is just to talk to Him. You say, well, I, I'm embarrassed to do it in front of other people. It'll be all right. After a few times, you'll get used to it. And you'll learn how to pray in front of other people. And you'll find how powerful and how wonderful experience it is to pray with God's people. May the Lord help us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. You know my heart. I, I'm, I want to be gentle, but yet at the same time I want to be, declare the truth and I want to help people understand how they need to follow you. And so, Lord, I just pray that as you are speaking to hearts right now, that you touch people and help us in this invitation time. While heads are bowed, eyes are closed, could I ask you, have you received the Word of God gladly, or has there been a day when you've trusted Jesus as your Savior? If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, I'd like you to do this while heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just lift your hand right now. Just lift your hand. God bless you, you may put it down. It's possible you might not have been able to lift it, Then I want to encourage you here today, when we begin our invitation time, you walk forward. You come up to one of our personal workers and let them know, I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior. Maybe you've never been baptized. If you've never been scripturally baptized since you've been saved, then I want to encourage you as well, come forward at the invitation say, I've been saved but never been baptized. We'll set up a time. We won't do it today, but we'll set up a time for you to be baptized. If you'd like to join this church, this would be the time as well to make it known. You say, I don't know much about the church. We'll we'll, we'll help you. We'll show you some things. But now as you get settled in, think of these priorities that I've made mention of. Have you made the service as a priority? Are you involved with the church family? Are you present when the Lord's table is served? And is it the fact that you're making it a priority to pray with God's people? Maybe one of those areas you're weak on or you need to make it as a priority. Why don't you do it here today?